Do you want a politically incorrect gateway to a real history education? Then go to mclanahanacademy.com. That's mclanahanacademy.com. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 161. Are you ready to think locally and act locally? Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Glad to be here. Before we get started, just want to remind you to follow me on Twitter at Brian McClanahan. Like me on Facebook at Brian McClanahan. And, of course, you can subscribe to my YouTube page at Brian McClanahan. If you want to find all those things, go out to my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. At the top of the page, you'll find all my social media buttons. You can also give me a, an email address, and I will give you a free ebook. Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. You'll get an email from me once in a while. Nothing too oppressive. Also, you can support The Brian McClanahan Show at my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com forward slash support. You can throw a few pennies my way, help keep the lights on, help keep the podcast going. You can also support The Brian McClanahan Show by going to mcclanahanacademy.com. You can sign up there for free. I am telling you right now, within the next couple of weeks, you will see a new McClanahan Academy class. You're going to want to sign up because if you do sign up for free to the McClanahan Academy email list, you will get the discount, the promotional discount that I'll give you when that class is first launched. So you want to go out to McClanahanAcademy.com, sign up, get the scoop on the discount, and of course you can also purchase the two courses I do have available right now, one on Secession and one on Alexander Hamilton, but there are more forthcoming. You can also support The Brian McClanahan Show by going to redbubble.com. Look for, just do a search for me, Brian McClanahan. You'll come up with my Redbubble page. You'll find all of my merchandise with my Brian McClanahan Show logo. And I think I have a new one forthcoming, so you want to look for that too. Uh, it should be a, a, a grand, uh, grand logo. I really like it, uh, or at least a saying that I often uh, use. So go on out there, look for that, redbubble.com. Anything you can do to support the Brian McClanahan Show, excuse me, is greatly appreciated. All right. Well, I had a lot of positive feedback from the last podcast I did, which was the Cold War. Uh, and so a lot of people said, give us more 20th century history. We like 20th century history. Well, I do too. I like 20th century history too. I like 18th century history and 17th century history and 19th century history. I like all that stuff. But I think some people do like to hear things that are more contemporary. And I did a podcast on Lyndon Johnson not long ago. And, of course, I've done the free course, the 10 best and 10 worst presidents, or 10 worst and 10 best presidents, however you want to look at it, freehistorycourse.com. It's based on my book, Nine Presidents Who Screwed Up America, but maybe you've not picked up that class. So I thought I would do a show today on Harry Truman because Harry Truman is one of these individuals who has, again, kind of received a reputation boost recently, and a lot of quote-unquote conservatives like Harry Truman. So he's become kind of this nonpartisan president that everyone seems to rally around, like Franklin Roosevelt. Um, he's not seen as too hot politically for the conservatives, conservative Inc. in America, and that's because of his positions on foreign policy, primarily. He's also one of these guys that really believed in a very strong executive branch. And Conservative Inc. seems to like that. I mean, they like it when the executive branch is doing what they want it to do. This is the problem. This is why I wrote that book. Because we have a bipartisan situation in America where Americans love an elected king. And executive government was not the design of the founding generation. 
without question, they didn't want that. But yet, it's not the design of the framers of the Constitution or the ratifiers of the Constitution. I mean, neither group, the framers nor the ratifiers, thought that we were going to have an elected king. Even on his worst day, George Washington, and I, and I talk about George Washington in that book, and, and I, I took a lot of heat for that by saying Washington violated the Constitution. <gasps> How dare you criticize George Washington? Well, I mean, I love George Washington. I got a bust of George Washington sitting in my office right now. I love George Washington. But George Washington did some things that were unconstitutional, clearly. Uh, I called Andrew Jackson a real American hero in my politically incorrect guide to real American heroes, but he was a terrible president because of how he abuses executive power. And I, I take down Jackson in that book as well. Now, I'm no fan of Lincoln, so you won't find a bust of Abraham Lincoln or me calling Lincoln a hero anywhere. But Lincoln's in the book, and of course that's one of the presidents that uh, the media often focused on. And that book has done very well. If you haven't picked up that book, uh, you can still get it on Amazon right now for like 12 bucks in hardback. I mean, it's, it's a deal. Uh, so uh, you get a hardback book for 12 bucks. So go out there and get that. You can get it in paperback now. I know it's out in paperback in you know, Barnes & Noble and other places now, but you can still get the hardback on Amazon. So I love, I love the concept of talking about 20th century history. So I think, well, I mean, let's, let's talk about Harry Truman because this is a guy that a lot of people don't realize really set us up for what we have today in our unconstitutional, continually unconstitutional executive usurpations of power coming out of Washington, D.C., you could point to, to Wilson, or you could point to Franklin Roosevelt. But without Truman, I mean, Truman carried forward Roosevelt's legacy in a way that uh, set us up for the next 60, 70 years. And I remember when I was an undergraduate in college, there was a political science professor there, and I had a, f a friend of mine uh, would often argue with this guy. We were, we were you know, conservative ink when I was in college. I talked about this before in a previous podcast, and how my transformation into what how I think now. I mean, I went down the rabbit hole. This is, I don't understand when people, when they start looking at things and they don't go down the rabbit hole and they don't start thinking, my gosh, I, I sit here and rail against the, you know, people violating the constitution, but when my own guys do it, I'm fine with it. I don't understand how they don't go down that rabbit hole and just start attacking their own people. Because if you're going to be a, a quote unquote constitutionalist, well, then you're going to look at American government completely different than if you're just a member of the GOP. In fact, uh, if you are, and I'm not saying this to be derogatory to anyone, but um, really in today's society, if you are a member of either political party, you're in a state of arrested development. Uh, neither political party is any good. Uh, I mean, you could say that uh, the Republicans at times, at least the rank-and-file Republican, you go down and look at the grassroots, they're better marginally on domestic policy. But foreign policy, they're just awful. The, the, the Democrats are poor on both things. So um, you, could, uh, you could make a case that uh, you might have marginally better Republican Party, maybe at the you know, local level, state level. But even there, you get into problems. Um, so if you're a member of the parties, I mean, you, you vote however you got to vote, if you want to vote. And there are people that don't vote anymore because they believe that legitimizes the uh, poor policies of the Republicans and the Democrats, but um, I do believe in political participation. I am different than uh, than a lot of libertarians who say they're not going to vote. Um, I do believe that you should go out and participate, particularly in local elections, state elections, 
That's where you have your most power. That's the think locally, act locally mantra. But besides that, when you look at how Truman affected, and this is why he has bipartisan support, you look at how he affected things. And this political science professor said, look, I was getting into that story and I lost my train of thought. You look at this political science professor and he told my friend, you know, we've never left a wartime footing since World War II. And what he was what he was railing about there was spending on the military. And he's 100% accurate. We have not left a wartime footing since World War II, but we have not left a wartime footing in terms of domestic spending since World War II either. In fact, we've just put it on steroids in both cases, which is why our debt can never be paid back, why federal spending is out of control. I just saw an article that the United States is dropping so many bombs that we're running out of bombs, and we're running out of manufacturers for these bombs. Well, there's an easy solution. Stop dropping bombs on everybody. Uh, if you want to preserve the bombs that you have, don't bomb everyone. I mean, this is it's, it's common sense, but no, no. We can't do that. we got to make more bombs and we got to use them all. But that's Truman, and this gets into the perpetual war theory following World War II, and that was the Cold War. And then once the Cold War was over, the Cold War produced the War on Terror, and now we're still in perpetual war because of the War on Terror. So Truman really is, in many ways, a dangerous part of American presidential history. And so I'm going to briefly go over some things that I talk about in that 10 worst and 10 best presidents, or 10 best and 10 worst presidents, however you want to look at it. And of course, this I also go into all this in, in detail in my uh, Nine Presidents Who Screwed Up America. So again, if you haven't picked up that book, uh, you, you should get it. Uh, but let's talk about Truman for a minute. So Truman, as a person, you know, Truman, and this is why I think people like Truman too, he really is the middle class president. Anyone else? In American history. I mean, maybe you can make a case that uh, Obama was that way too. I mean, Obama came from very humble roots. Um, but, you know, Obama's life was tied up into public service in many ways. I mean, Obama was a politician from the beginning. Harry Truman was not. And that does make him different. And I, I don't think that you can find, looking back in American history, really any man that's more middle class than Harry Truman. Maybe, you know, Grant. I mean, you, you look at some people, maybe. Um, but Truman is embodies this middle-class spirit of America, what we think is, is middle America. I mean, he was a haberdasher. Right? He lost his business during the Great Depression. And he didn't get involved in politics till he's really in his 50s. I mean, the guy uh, was just living an average middle-class life. But he got involved in politics and he reveled in it. In fact, there's a quote. He wrote his daughter one time. He said, quote, If I were rich, I'd just as soon spend my money buying votes and offices as yachts and autos. Think about that quote for a second. If I were rich, I'd just as soon spend money buying votes and offices as yachts and autos. This is the guy that we want to elect to the executive branch? Now, of course, nobody knew he said this at the time. This is only because people have dug into his personal life after he was out of office and died. But that's an amazing quote. It's a, it's a beautiful window into who Harry Truman really was, how power-hungry he really was. And, of course, he had his plaque at the front of his desk that said, the buck stops here. 
And this is this is a guy that reveled in the power of the executive branch, so dangerous, even more than Franklin Roosevelt. And he was an expert politician. This guy used every tool at his disposal to maintain power and to undermine those around him who were trying to grandstand or become more popular and more powerful than him. He really used dishonesty and deceit during his time as president. And I, again, I think ways that are just uh, you know shocking when you start looking at these things. Harry Truman should not be admired by anybody who believes in the U.S. Constitution or who believes in executive restraint or believes in, in, in the real foundation of American government. This guy is extremely dangerous, and we should try to undo anything he wanted to do. But yet, we don't do that. In fact, Truman is now, I mean, you've got the McCulloch book, Truman, you know, a great guy. My gosh, we could just lose our love affair with Harry Truman on, in both parties. So Truman's going to pursue Roosevelt's domestic policy with vigor. And in, in fact, um, when you look at what he was doing when the war was in the final stages, even right after the war, I mean, what he does is amazing when it comes to uh, ingraining the New Deal and, and, and making it to where it's never going to go away. I mean, look, the New Deal is never going to go away, and the Great Society is never going to go away. And the Great Society would not have been possible without Harry Truman. I know we talked about Johnson and what he did, but the, the Great Society would not have been possible without Truman. So during the war, Truman wanted to nationalize everything. He wanted to nationalize a coal mine, three oil refineries, an airport, cotton mills, a railroad, the Chicago cab industry. I mean, that one's essential for winning the war. we got to make sure people are uh, you know, driving around Chicago in cabs. And this is because these people, these, these industries, would often resist the centralization of the wartime economy. They, they didn't want to do it. And so you just nationalize it. In fact, uh, during the war, uh, you know, uh, and right after the war, one thing that, that uh, Truman's going to do is he wants to hang uh, union workers because they're opposing his policies. Now, he, he does all this, again, because there's a quote-unquote national emergency, the national emergency of the war. The national emergency of the war, or the national emergency of, of the period right after the war. I mean, that's... Uh, it's It's insane. But this is what the guy's doing. And so... Even when the war is over, he quote-unquote demobilizes, but that's not really what happened. So Truman is going to, through executive order, demobilize. But what he does is he transfers all of the New Deal programs and all of the, all of the uh, bureaucracy created during the war into different titles, same jobs, but different titles. So all of the stuff that's created during the war, and you have to go back and you look at what, what Roosevelt was doing. You, know, you nationalize the entire economy. You tell factories what they can and can't produce. You tell people uh, what they can and can't eat. All these things that were happening during the war, uh, Roosevelt, I mean, I'm sorry, Truman is simply just repackaging it in a different, different form. So he lost his demobilization efforts, but he refuses to let go of the New Deal, 
and insists on implementing Roosevelt's quote-unquote second Bill of Rights. Uh, if you haven't read that, it was a speech Roosevelt gave near the end of his life where he said, look, I mean, you know, we need a second Bill of Rights. We need to make sure that everybody has a house, everybody has a job, everybody has education. And this became, these became the talking points of the modern Democrat Party. I mean, this is what, this is what we have now. Everyone deserves these things. Everyone deserves health care. Everyone deserves this stuff. You have a Bill of Rights. That is the Democrat Party talking points. Without question. I mean, this is what World War II did. This is what the Cold War allowed to happen. Because we have to fight somebody, and we're fighting somebody, so you do the, what, what's in the best interest of... And I'm going to talk about how Truman actually said these things. Publicly said these things. Not, not privately, but publicly said these things. So you got to maintain a wartime footing. You refuse to let this quote-unquote emergency go to waste. And World War II really allowed for progressive domestic policies to become ingrained in the American economy. It really is the watershed event of the 20th century. Uh, you know, Wilson started this process during World War I, some of the things that were going on there. And, uh, but they were rebuked later on in the 1920s, at least somewhat. But never again would they be aggressively challenged. If you look at what's happening with Conservative Inc., or, you know, nobody really challenges the New Deal anymore. No one challenges the Great Society. No one walks around and says, you know what, we need to get rid of uh, unconstitutional programs like Medicare. You can't because it's politically impossible to do it. Or nobody says, you know what, Social Security is bankrupt. It's a, it is an unconstitutional Ponzi scheme. We need to get rid of that thing. Nobody says these things anymore. Nobody says, uh, you know, we need to get rid of um, uh, you know, any of the policies created by the Great Society. We need to do that. No, you can't because of politics. And, and Truman and, and Johnson and even Roosevelt, they all knew it. You put these things in place. Now, even, even think about Obamacare, which Republicans ran for years saying, we got to get rid of this thing. Once they had the opportunity, no, no, we can't get rid of that. People like it too much. It's politically unpopular now. So once these things are in place, you see it with, with what happens with World War II. You never get rid of them. You never get rid of them. Even if they're, if they're unconstitutional, if they're a disaster, you still never get rid of them. You can't. And, and this is when you start seeing this stuff. 1946, as Roosevelt, um, I mean, as, as uh, Truman takes over, takes, really takes command of the economy at that point, um, he ends the war unilaterally, which was clearly unconstitutional. You, the president doesn't end a war. The Congress does, but Truman does it anyways. Uh, he asks Congress for a longer draft and compulsory military service in the National Guard. He says, look, we need to extend the draft out another 10 months, and anyone, we need to make sure these people are, uh, we're, we're forcing young men into the National Guard, quote-unquote National Guard, which is a whole nother discussion of whether the National Guard is even constitutional or not. We need to force people in the National Guard, and, um, and at that point, we're going to have a, a, a military that's always ready to go, right? rejected by Congress. But this is the first time we've really had any discussion of this. And every now and then, just recently, you had people saying, "We don't, you know what we need to do? We need to follow the Europeans, and we need to make sure that everyone serves in the American economy in some way. And that's what we need to do. It's just, it's ridiculous. But this is what Roosevelt's doing. He wanted to draft striking steel workers, I mentioned this, into the Army, and to end their strike. And he wanted to hang some railroad workers. Uh, here is the guy that's, uh, you know, the left loves going after labor unions. Now, the right 
loves this kind of stuff. But even they thought to themselves, wait a second here. You want you want to put these workers into the army? You want to hang them? Uh, Truman, you're going a little far. This is clearly a king, an elected king. In this point, case, not even elected. He just assumed office when, when Roosevelt died. Uh, he had a dispute with Henry Wallace, who was a, a communist over the Soviet Union, um, which actually got Truman some brownie points with the with the Republicans because now he's this anti you know uh, anti communist cold warrior. Uh, Truman had taken a very get tough stance with the Soviets, which produces some other problems. By 1947. He's using the executive branch to fight commies at home and abroad. And the the issue there was two things. One was the Marshall Plan. Was the Marshall Plan, which, if you don't know what the Marshall Plan is, it's a a vast expenditure of American taxpayer dollars in Europe to fight communism there. That was the idea, to prop up these economies of European power so they don't become communists. But at the same time, what they're doing is they're funneling money into socialist governments in Europe these national democratic governments in Europe. So we're, we're propping up commies. We're just not, they're just not Stalinists, but they're commies. These, these governments wouldn't have worked without American cash after the war. I mean, this is the untold story of these things. How much American cash was funneled into to Marxists in Europe? The Truman Doctrine. We're going to contain communism where it already exists by any means necessary. Now, this, is, this was done under the direction of American diplomats. But the, the, pro- the, the, the problem with all this is that, well, when you make that statement, now you're going to get yourself involved in unconstitutional wars, and that's essentially what happens. It begins with the Truman administration. Uh, he's using executive orders to implement domestic surveillance. We're, t- I mean, this is, we're talking about domestic surveillance now. Violations of the Fourth Amendment that, oh, the Obama administration was spying on people. Oh, yeah? I know they were. Of course they were. So was the Truman administration. This is nothing new. and It doesn't make it right. But this has been going on for 70 years. 70 years. And we act like it's something new. I mean, all the abuse of the quote-unquote deep state really begins under the Truman administration. You have to go back to Truman to find all this stuff. And I wish that people would be honest about these things and say, you know, Truman was a bad guy. We don't need this type of executive government. And the Congress, of course, has punted its responsibility over and over again in stopping this stuff. I mean, every now and then they would, they would get a backbone and do it, but most of the time they're just following in line. Uh, so uh, he did uh, implement something called the loyalty program, right? So this is the had the House on American Activities Committee, but Truman has his own loyalty program where they're trying to root out communists, and 212 people would eventually resign. Um, and the program didn't catch uh, Alger Hiss, who was a known Soviet spy. Of course, all this helps Truman get elected in 1948. You know, not really re-elected, but elected in 1948. He was losing so badly in 48. I mean, this is one of the great missed opportunities. You can't say that Dewey would have really been much better in terms of uh, he was just a soft New Dealer. But, um, you know, he wasn't as power-hungry as, as Roosevelt. You know, Dewey had, his, had, a, had a pretty good reputation. Here's a guy that beat organized crime in New York. Um, you know, put Lucky Luciano in jail and then booted him out of the country. Uh, so, you know, you look at, uh, at Thomas Dewey. I mean, he had a great legal career. Uh, and he was way ahead. But, of course, Truman effectively uses deceit and dishonesty to get 
elected in 1948. He has his whistle-stop tour on the back of the train. He's telling people Dewey's going to be, he's going to tear apart the New Deal, which wasn't true. He's too conservative. It wasn't true. None of that was true. But, of course, this is politics. And so he's, I'm just a guy that, I'm just a man of the people. I'm going to get on the back of the train in my pajamas, and I'm going to bring my wife out, and I'm going to say she's the boss, and all this stuff. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, great, great, great. People love it. All untrue. But, hey, it works. Well, all fair, all is fair in love and politics, right? So uh, now you get to 1949, and now Truman's got his own term. And so this is where Truman really shows his colors. 1949, he makes this statement. Quote, our minimum wages are far too low. Some of our natural resources are still being wasted. Our health is far behind the progress of medical science. Proper medical care is so expensive that it is out of the reach of the great majority of our citizens. Our schools in many localities are utterly inadequate. Our democratic ideals are often thwarted by prejudice and intolerance. Now, does that, I mean, could you have not, does a Democrat or even a Republican not make the same speech in 2018? Of course they do. It's the same speech. I mean, this is how stupid American politics are. Uh, our health care is bad. Our health care is too expensive. Our schools are bad. They're inadequate. Our democratic ideals are under attack from prejudice. And I mean, you could have said the same thing. I mean, why don't we just take Harry Truman's speeches in 1949, just repackage them the same today. And this is how stupid American politics are. That Americans just, you can say the same speech over and over again for 70 years and people still, oh yeah, we're going to vote this way. We're going to be. He also said the business cycle is man-made and men of goodwill working together can smooth it out. Right. Yeah. And this is, this is, it's, it's, it's amazing to me when you go back and read these things, how nothing has changed. Nothing, not one thing has changed in American politics. But of course, the solution for Truman and for all the, these people was more unconstitutional government. Um, so why not? More unconstitutional, more of the fair deal. You, you double down the minimum wage. You start advocating national health insurance. I mean, Truman's the first one to do that. Uh, you start uh, expanding some of the policies of the New Deal. And then, of course, you've got to get involved. You need an enemy, right? One of the things that Truman realized, and, and of course the progressive realized, is that if you have a war, a perpetual war, you can do just about anything you want because you have your enemy. You have the boogeyman, the bad guy. You put him out there and say, this is the bad guy. we got to fight this guy. And so to do that, we, we're going to have to do all kinds of things unconstitutional things, but it's okay because we're doing it in the name of fighting the enemy. We're going to pass uh, the Patriot Act because we got to fight we got to fight the terrorists. We're going to pass all this unconstitutional legislation because we have to fight the commies. You see, you have to have the enemy to do it. They all figure this out. We're in we're in war in World War II, so we got to do all these things to fight the to fight the Nazis and the Japs. We got to do all these things to do it. So during uh, Truman's administration, you got the Cold War, the beginning of the Cold War, of course, with the Truman Doctrine and Marshall Plan. But the real issue was Korea, and of course, Korea is back in the news. But uh, in this Truman, this elected Truman administration, you had the the uh, Congress and uh, Truman work together with something called NSC sixty eight. This more than tripled defense spending. And it made the CIA and other intelligence agencies flush with cash. You, you go back to where the deep state becomes a problem or becomes the thing that it is, and it's NSC 68. It's during the Truman administration. It's the Dulles brothers. 
John Foster and Alan Dulles, uh, they would bridge right in to Eisenhower, uh, or at least you would see the beginnings of that. When you get to the Eisenhower administration, we really get the Dulles brothers. But you're going to see where that all begins with Truman. And we go to war in Korea for, quote, to, quote, uphold the principles of the United Nations. Not the principles of the United States or the Constitution, but the principles of the United Nations. I mean, how silly is this? Truman calls it a police action. And he doesn't have any congressional approval to launch a war in Asia, but he does it anyways. And Truman said this was necessary to, quote, uh, quote, for the defense of your homes and your way of life. All of us, this is where he shows his cards, all of us will have to pay more taxes and do without things we like. Why? Because we're at war. But he said, don't worry, America. This is, quote, an opportunity, an opportunity to defend the best kind of life that men have ever devised on this earth. Because Truman was showing fear that Korean bombers were flying over American airspace. Right, North Korea that doesn't even have power plants. But no, we got bombers flying. I mean, this is just so silly. But this is what this is how this is how fear is used to erode everything in American society. And we're not defending any way of life. We got to pay more taxes to do things because we need more unconstitutional government. This is a national emergency. And so this is often the un this is forgotten the, the, the often forgotten part of the economic legacy of World War II. So Truman left this bureaucracy in place and use it to his advantage during the Korean War. You got price fixing, you got direction of production, all that stuff is back in place. In 1951, Truman seizes American steel mills after the workers went on strike. This is similar to 1946 when he wanted to draft them into the army. All, a lot of these things were opposed by the American public, and Truman really couldn't defend the move constitutionally, any of this stuff, but he said it was for the national emergency. So when you look at Truman's legacy, this is it. Use a national emergency. Use a war. Use a wartime footing to do whatever you want in terms of domestic policy and foreign policy. You get away with anything. Domestic surveillance. You can get away with unconstitutional domestic spending. Any of that stuff. You can get away with all of it. Why? Because there's an emergency. Truman, Harry Truman, really is, in so many ways, the model of the modern American executive. Not Roosevelt, not Wilson, not Lincoln, not Jackson, not Washington, but Harry Truman. Because he's this middle-class guy, he's one of us, he's just a guy, he's out there playing the saxophone like Bill Clinton did, right? I mean, this is what he does. He's just a man of the people. He's on the back of the train in his pajamas. He's just one of us, just a common guy, everyday guy. And uh, he is using the government to his advantage. He creates the deep state. Uh, the Cold War turns into the war on terror. I mean, all this stuff. We've never, we've never ramped down from the World War II economy because of Truman. We've got all the modern Democrat talking points. We've got the establishment of the fair deal, which turns into uh, the great society. All of that stuff. He, he, he ingrains this into American society. So this is why Harry Truman is so bad but he's one of these people that's often overlooked, and now everyone seems to like Harry Truman. and It's just unfortunate that that happens. All right, hope you enjoyed it. I'll see you next time on The Brian McLennan Show.